Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris Graham with the National Racing Network. Happy to be joined tonight by Mr. Christian Jasper, James Watson, Mike McCullen. Ben Carswell is, I believe, working. Jason Owens appears to be unavoidably detained. This is Pizza at the Pagoda. I promise you this will not be another two-hour dumpster fire like we had uh, <laughs> last show. Aw, where's the fun in that? Uh, yeah, some of us I don't got- have the energy to do a two-hour show this week. I will die. Yeah, epics, epics will come for things like the 500 season championship. You know, the big stuff. If there's a big story, we'll, we'll go with it. But hopefully we can keep this one a little bit more manageable for you. Uh, we'll start off the evening, as we always do. Mr. McCullen, what are you drinking tonight? I Coke Zero tonight because I'm not feeling 100%, so I'm taking it easy. Uh, yeah, I'm not either. I'm over here sipping some plain tea, like, I mean, iced tea, but not sweet, not nothing. I'm trying to, I don't know. Whatever the bug that's going around, I think, is starting to infect us over here. Uh, Mr. Watson, what is in front of you? Uh, a little can of Izzy Sparkling Blackberry. The only sparkling anything that actually tastes good. <laughs> I think there's some French people that make this really nice bubbly stuff that would tend to disagree with you on that. But uh, Chris- Well, that's listed as sparkly, I mean. Oh, oh that's true. That is just champagne. There is mm-hmm. no, uh... <laughs> a little bit of bubbly. This is going to be a long night. <laughs> Christian, what is in front of you this evening? We got some Asahi tonight, baby. Oh. I like that call. Oh, it's it's so good. So, Sapporo is still at the top for me, but Asahi is a close second. That's it. All right, boys. Well, we had a hell of a show here in St. Petersburg this past weekend. Oh. The Florida version, not the Russian version. Um, <laughs> make sure we, we make that abundantly clear. Um. Man, I guess first question, we'll tee it up here and we'll start with Christian. Scotty Mack was a show. The question is, is he for real? Without a doubt, I feel like. Um, last year, he, I feel like he was lauded to be maybe a championship favorite, but it was also like last year was pretty much his rookie year, I feel like. Um, but I mean, he's he's getting comfortable with the car. I mean, shit, he looked comfortable in the car. Uh-huh. He, he, he looked like an indie car driver. Like the Scotty Mac that we saw at St. Petersburg is the Scotty Mac that we, that we saw whenever he was in VA supercars. Like he's not a multi-champion in that series for no reason. Um, and I mean, hell last year he was on the podium at Texas and that was his first oval race. So I I don't usually like trying to call some championship calls, especially after the first race, but damn, oh, if that wasn't a strong performance, oh my goodness, are we going to do this two years in a row? Look, 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 St. <laughs> Petersburg is not a course to sneeze at. We know that any road courses like that. Scott McLaughlin. My God, like literally just look at any Bathurst qualifying that he's done there and any Bathurst race, really any race that he's been in in supercars. 
Scotty Mack in the shell car. He, Scotty he's, Mack in the shell car. Go ahead, Mike. If you even go back to his time at, at Gary Rogers in, in the Volvo, he was something then. That's what got him signed with DJR Team Penske. Uh, and where he had his championship run. Man's a, a three-time championship back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And he, his first year at DGR Team Penske, he was second in the championship. He's The, the guy is a premier talent, no doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his, at his racing record, and he's raced one open-wheel car in his career. A Formula Ford in 2010. That is it. Everything else has been in preparation for V8 supercars. So for him to come in to the series last year from a very different car, very different environment to an open wheel environment where he's never raced an open wheeler in any competitive sense since 2010 and to pick up the car and do as well as he did last year, I think we all had the expectation, right, is that he came in Riding a three-peat championship in supercars, nobody could touch him Ooh. off at a unbelievable performance at Bathurst in 2020. And well, last last year when he was when he was with Penske, I mean, it was mediocre at best. Like I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Like it was like okay. I mean, he's. I mean, he was he was a rookie to the car. He was new to the car. He he didn't look like Jimmy Johnson, but no. he. Like it, it, it was, it was more like okay, he's in the field. Sometimes yeah. he's in the fray. Sometimes, sometimes not. More often, he wasn't. At the beginning of the year, this weekend. Oh my god, it was like is the Scotty Mac that right. we watched in supercars. That right. is Scott McLaughlin that got him signed with Penske. Exactly, and it just kind of trailed off because it's like he he was at the front sometimes, but like Saint Petersburg was like okay. Damn, he just qualified on pole. Okay, damn, he's staying in the lead. Okay, damn, he's pulling a gap and he's maintaining it. Okay, damn, how's he making these tires last as long as they as they are? Like, to be honest, it was kind of nuts seeing him do what he could do with that car. Like it, it looked easy. Yeah, like the, he, the only he made it look easy, and that that was the season opener. Yeah, the only thing that I I'm shocked about Scott's performance is how fast it happened, you know, because like you said, we were kind of we were kind of lulled with how his performance was last season. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't all that great. But we all knew that Scott is better than that. We all knew that he was going to get better and start running better. Uh, OK, now we're they, not surprised they, that this... he did. I just. I uh, go on. The the question that I, that I was just going to pose to you is in our preseason show we asked the question and remember we are hashtag experts. Who is Scotty McLaughlin going to be on pace with Jimmy Johnson this year? This is not something that was Scotty went from regularly 5th to 10th and now is up towards the podium and winning races. McLaughlin was nowhere to be found last year. Do you have to be a little bit concerned that there isn't maybe some blind squirrel finding a nut stuff going on here and they just hit on it this weekend? I can't imagine. You don't 
you can't really back into a, a win at St. Petersburg, especially a win like that. Like, and something I wanted wanted to bring up is how many? When was the last time someone won at St. Petersburg that wasn't a champion or didn't go on to win that champ the championship that season? I want to say it was like Hinch in 2013. Uh, Most of the guys that have won at St. Petersburg are or went on to be champion. It's not a track that you really back into. You luck in. You have to make your own luck. And especially with how dominant Scott was on Sunday, that's not something I've seen enough to know that it's not a fluke. He may not be an outright contender, but we're going to see him up at the front a hell of a lot more this season. It's not a complete fluke. If you go back over the race history, Colton Herta won last year. New Garden went back-to-back the two years prior. Bourdais back-to-back the two years prior. Montoya back-to-back the two years prior. Uh, But you look at the list of people that have won at St. Pete. Paul Tracy, Dan Weldon, Elio, uh, Will Power, Dario Franchitti, uh, and then obviously Montoya, Bourdais, New Garden. This is a place that champions win. I'm not saying he necessarily backed into the race win. I'm just asking, did that team, that driver engineering staff combo hit on something unique this weekend? And are we going to see them come back to earth a little? Because that way, I mean, my, my take on it was, like Christian said, all weekend you went, damn, where'd he come from? Damn, that, hey, holy cow. It seemed like every time you looked, you were, uh, I don't want to say surprised, but it was, okay, they're continuing to do this. There was no letdown that entire race weekend. Yep. But that's not necessarily true of the entire Team Penske organization. Uh, Second best of the cars was... Uh, let me see. Joseph Newgarden finishing 16th uh, and Power, obviously, in third. Uh, mm. The team was pretty good, but you still had a little bit of out to lunch there, too. Yeah, the finish is kind of concerning. And I think we had talked about it last week that if Newgarden doesn't start putting together either a championship or a 500 win, He's going to be looking for a new ride because that's just not what Roger expects out of his drivers. And, and I, I will say that Will Power finishing third is, I mean, he should have been contending for the lead. And I think we're going to talk about this. He was right up there, too. So I think I think Scotty and Will, their teams were, were clicking on, on all cylinders. I don't know what happened to Newgarden. I don't know if we saw any quotes out of Penske saying, you know, kind of explaining it away. I don't know. I, I think, you know, we're going to have a, a another data point in a month when we go back to Texas where Scotty Mack got his first podium on his first oval last year. So if he goes out to Texas and has a similar performance, and I don't, th- I don't say he has to go out and win, I'd say a top five. If he goes out to Texas, a place where he's had success and... You know, podiums it or finishes top five or or wins the damn thing. I think we can start feeling a little more comfortable that yeah, this is this isn't a fluke. Yeah, I I think it's hard to back into a win at St. Pete. 
It's just such a hard track. We've talked about the, the folks that have won there. We've talked about the folks that have been successful there. Really one of those those Bourdais wins should have been a Wiccans win. Uh, thanks, Rossi. But <laughs> that is not a track that you back into a win at. No. No way. So I, I'm optimistic that this is going to be, be a good season for him. Uh, well, let's before we get too far into this topic, I feel like we need to pivot a little bit here because we're already like 12 minutes in and we have the potential to go on for hours just on Scotty Mack because the guy was really that <laughs> impressive this weekend. The next one, the guy who I think was a legitimate surprise was Kyle Kirkwood. There was a lot of hype on this kid coming into the season. But even in our preseason opener, it was kind of Lungard is going to be rookie of the year because Kirkwood is in junk machinery. Could we have a legitimate debate come the end of the season that Kyle Kirkwood should be rookie of the year if not for the equipment? I don't see why not. Our, but I think that was our point last week, though, was that the only reason why he's going to be out of the rookie of the year conversation is the equipment. Uh, and and can we say where the hell did Foyt come from? I mean, they I mean, had they, they have... had Bourdais in the car. Sebastian Bourdais was a race winner with Dale Coyne. Obviously, the whole thing went down there. Bourdais ends up at Foyt. That stuff was not good under Sebastian Bourdais, and all of a sudden, Kyle Kirkwood is doing some absolutely insane things with it. Uh, Christian Lundgaard did win rookie of the race coming home 11th Kirkwood in 18th. I would argue that Lundgaard undershot the goal and Kirkwood outkicked his coverage by a large margin. Forget though that, that AJ Fort now has Bourdais and I want to say that, oh, he was just hanging out. Bourdais is minimally consulting for them. So they still have his expertise around. And uh, if Foyt could at least be competitive, that would be amazing. And that, that storied team has spent too long being the laughingstock of IndyCar. The Foyt name should not be associated with th what they've been putting down on track. So if they can put down some respectable results on track, be contending for... I don't know, top tens? You know, they've got, there's some talent on that team. Kirkwood is obviously a talent. So, um, and Kellett didn't have a bad qualifying either, to be honest. And you guys know that I've been down on Dalton Kellett since he's come into the series. And he went out and had a good qualifying too. So, maybe they're starting to figure their stuff out. And that only helps. That only helps the series. Um, Maybe this is the hot take of the episode, uh, but it, I don't think it's unfair to say that AJ Foyt racing has not been good since the late 70s. Had some wins here and there. Uh, obviously, the Kenny Brack years were pretty good, uh, but outside of that, it, I mean, that was very early IRL days when they were competing against the racing dentist. Uh, of late, 
Sato with one win at Long Beach, and that was in 2013. They've been not good. Call this what it is. It would be more surprising to me to see Foyt do things exceptional this season, and when I say exceptional, I mean regular top tens. Please don't hit me, AJ. <laughs> yeah, I like, mean, just, just waiting on that phone call. You're, if you're listening, you're by wrong. the way, we love you, Super Tex. <laughs> you're definitely not wrong. I mean, look at how many great drivers have come to Foyt and not done well. Granted, they were at the end of, towards the end, quote unquote, of their careers, like TK and Seabass, but like with, those guys still know and knew what to do. So to have them run as not great as they were in their time at Foyt, it kind of really pushes home how they, they've fallen over the past few decades and especially over the past decade. Uh, yeah, this is a... It has a team that Quite frankly, I think the more AJ's hands get off it, the better it's getting. Larry Foyt is a very smart business guy, and he's going to leave the racing side up to the racers. Uh, I, don't get me wrong. I would love to see AJ Foyt in victory lane. That would be... <laughs> could you imagine AJ in victory lane again at 80-something years old? At Indianapolis oh, in May? He would lose his mind. You think people but lost their also, shit last year when Elio won? That place would have putting the smart people onto the team, though, right? Maybe the the cars aren't performing, but they're starting to put some smart people with good racing minds around the team. So we know that we know that Bourdais has been hanging out with the team, you know, just visiting because it's you know around the corner from his house in St. Pete, but. I'm sure that you know they're picking his brain. They've got J.R. Hildebrand, who's been associated with the team. He's not a dumb guy. You've got Charlie Kimball, who's associated with the team, and he turned down Stanford to race, and, and his father is a legendary car designer. So there's some smart people that are being associated with Foyt. They might not have the racing talent yet, but they're starting to put some smart engineers on the team and around the team who might be able to say, hey, the way that we're doing this damper program is wrong. Here's some ideas. And you've got guys who have been with other programs outside of Foyt. So there's also some knowledge there from other drivers as well that have been outside of Foyt. So I I, I think it's it's something to watch, right? We know that... We know that um, I just completely blanked on his name. This is unbelievable. We know that Kirkwood is a talent. We know that he's a smart guy. We know that he looked this weekend in a car he'd never driven before outside of a test like a seasoned professional. So I think they've got they've got smart people around the team. They've got a good guy in the cockpit of one of their cars. I don't know. They could it's promising. It's more promising than than they've been. Uh, and continuing on the rookies here, uh, can we say significantly more promising than David Malukas, Devlin DeFrancesco? And I, I don't, I hate to throw Tatiana Calderon in that list, but I guess you sort of have to. Uh, for the first time ever, we saw a command blue flag issue, and it was issued more than once to Tatiana. 
mm. and other drivers got it as well. But her name kept coming up on the command blue list. Um, it really kind of does feel like we have a two horse race here. If Kirkwood can keep the machinery together, or do we just see a walk off from Lundgaard? I mean, I don't know why you're lumping De Francesco in. I mean, he was up at the front towards the end of the race. He was right there involved with the battle. Like, what more could you ask from a rookie? He was racing with power. <laughs> uh, well, oh, no. <laughs> uh, looking at the uh, the time down, Devlin De Francesco, 1 minute 2.8613 seconds. Uh, however, he was the last car in the lead lap, finishing ahead of Jimmy Johnson. He fought to stay on that lead lap. Yes, he did. He earned every bit of those one minute and two seconds extra on the racetrack. <laughs> hey, uh, lead lap. <laughs> yes. All right, moving <laughs> on here to question number three of the night. By the way, thank you to Ben Carswell for giving us the uh, prep material for the show here. Uh, check out his columns at nationalracingnetwork.com. Have Arrow McLaren Schmidt Peterson or Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan shown anything negative or positive? No. Uh, I don't know. I, this, this is another one of those things where I don't feel as bad as holding back because it's the first or I, I think I have that reverse. Like I, I feel like I, I do need to hold back a little bit on that one because it's the first race and because they're like, I guess, you, yeah, they're, they're a veteran team. Um, yeah. Like that's again, like we said before, St. Petersburg is not a track to sneeze at. Um, any city courses like that with arrow McLaren, I feel like sometimes they're a little bit of a wild card because like sometimes we'll see them at the front and then sometimes we'll see them in the back. But at the same time, I mean, you know, this is IndyCar. <laughs> well, we'll, I, see that. Was... we'll see that with just about every other team. But I with with Arrow McLaren, I feel like they're I, I don't necessarily mean this in a bad way, like they're consistently inconsistent, but they're usually closer towards the front. Yeah, Pato finishing 12th and Felix Rosenquist finishing 17th. Both of them gained positions. Pato started 16th, finishing 12th, so he gained four. Uh, mm -hmm. Rosenquist gained four, started 21st, finished 17th. I, I, they just were nowhere to be found this weekend, and that's not something we would expect out of Pato Award, especially when you think about how many cars that we didn't talk about as being potential championship contenders finished ahead of him. Scott McLaughlin, uh, Renus VK, Graham Rahal, Marcus Erickson, Takuma Sato. I mean, Sato put a Rick Ware car inside the top 10. Okay, it's a Dale point. <laughs> it's a Rick Ware car in the top 10 ahead of the almighty might and dollars of McLaren engineering put that car on the podium twice last year. I don't know if we can. Yeah, maybe yeah, it... three times maybe... put that thing on the podium last year. 
that to me says so. Sato still has it. Uh huh. But you would expect McLaren's expectation has to be we can outperform Dale Coyne. It, it's McLaren, yes. I mean, I see uh, where so Pato finished St. Pete last year nineteenth, and Rosenquist finished twelfth. So. I don't know if there's anything to read into it just yet, because they apparently just suck there. They shouldn't, because they're McLaren. But... Well, okay. Take well, it's not, the first time that, it's not the first time that McLaren has dropped the ball. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, at least they got Alonso. the right paint this year. Failed and to steering wheels. The Indy 500. Yeah, damn, I was going to say the steering wheel. Damn you, Mike. <laughs> I, okay, the... I mean, we can crack the jokes here, but if Pato finishes yeah. inside the top 10 last year at St. Pete, he's probably an IndyCar champion. Wouldn't have hurt. Yep. I mean, that's I mean, how had... tight the battle is year in and year out at the at the pointy end of the field. You can't have... Four bad finishes last year. St. Pete, the Indy Grand Prix, Nashville, and Portland. And then, obviously, Long Beach, where he got absolutely murdered at the start. I, I, if you're McLaren, you have to be kind of going. Now, the flip side of that coin is the season. No, it's not. And if you look at the other side of the coin, and I kind of agree with your assessment here that I don't think we saw anything from Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan either. Graham Ray Hall finished seventh, and Jack Harvey finished 13th, and Lungard finished 11th. Probably not where Jack Harvey wanted to be, and probably not where uh, RLL wanted him, especially because Harvey's been relatively good around St. Pete. So, not a great look for them. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, Ray Hall seemed content with his top ten, and I think he was performing as to where we'd expect Graham Ray Hall. And, and, you know, I'll take back some of what I said last week about, you know, Ray Hall not being that good. He's consistently a top ten guy He's usually near the pointy end of the field, but he's never quite like a win at a podium for Ray Hall is rare, but him finishing outside of the top 10 is also rare. So I think he finished exactly where you expected Graham Ray Hall to finish. And good for Graham. Uh, yeah, I kind of think that's it. He was right kind of where you thought he would be. Didn't contend all weekend, was not at the sharp at sharpest end of the stick. But he didn't have a terrible weekend either. Take what you can get on to the next one. Uh, unfortunately, it is, that, as long as he keeps getting the leader circle money, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that with Graham. Yeah. And I'm contend at the 500. Do your do Graham Ray Hall things at the 500. Just as long as the pit crew doesn't do uh, Ray Hall Letterman pit crew things. <laughs> he hasn't had a win since 2017. Holy, has it really been that long since Ray Hall hasn't had a win? Wow. Yeah. And he has what? Which is kind of two. crazy because of how consistent he is finishing in the top 10. He could, like, 
I feel like this also does kind of speak to how competitive IndyCar is. Like he's consistently in the top 10, but we don't always see him win. But with him consistently finishing in the top 10 like he does, if he was able to finish higher more consistently, like with that consistent with that consistency, my God, um, he like honestly, he would quite literally be the master of quiet points because he's because like, he is just like. He's, he's always there. The problem is in IndyCar, it, you'll hear in the world in NASCAR, a guy will say, man, we had an eighth place car today. and We got a third out of it. Right. We, we had a fifth place car today and somehow we got a win out of it. That doesn't happen. Graham Rahal just always has a IndyCar. sixth place car. That's it. He's yeah. every I week. He's he- a sixth place car and he's going to finish sixth with it. He's going to yeah. give you what is expected out of the race car. Right. Yeah. So here's his finishes from last year. Seventh, 15th, fifth, third, Fifth, thirty second at IMS because uh, tire changes are hard. Fifth, fifth, eleventh, sixth, fifth, seventh, twenty third at Gateway, tenth, fourth, and sixteenth. He's got a sixth place car every week, and his championship finishes sixth, eighth, tenth, sixth, and seventh. The highest he's ever finished in the championship was fourth in twenty fifteen, and that's ancient history at this point. I that's 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 not that bad. <laughs> it's, it's being real, it's, but like it it doesn't get, it doesn't get championships if you're not up at the front though. I, no, I, I don't I don't think that equates. I don't think that equates Ray Hall as a bad driver by any. No, means, I think but. he's he's a good driver who's very comfortable where he's at in the team. Right, he doesn't have to push for a championship because. His name, even though it's his dad's name, his name is on the door. He doesn't have to push for a championship unless Bobby's like, "Hey, you got to start pushing for championships." And I, I don't see, I don't think that pressure's on him. You know, I think he's a competitive guy, but he's a, he's a good, serviceable driver who's going to go out there and get points for the team. If you and look at look at the football world, he is a game manager quarterback. He is never going to do something all world. Oh my God, look at what Graham Rahal just did. And at the same time, he's also not going to be the guy that will throw the throw an interception at the one yard line with four seconds left in the Super Bowl. In my neck of the woods, we call that the Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> I was going to make a baseball analogy that he's he's that he's that left fielder who hits. 280, maybe you yeah. know, a little under 300 <laughs> every year. He's got decent power. He can draw some walks, and he'll occasionally make a flashy play to to, to bring a home run back at, at the wall. And that's that's the kind of guy you need on a team, right? That's the kind of guy you need on your baseball team. He's the kind of driver who's fine. He, he brings He's going to have a very long career until he decides he's going to hang it up. So. Like, yeah, I mean, he started the season in seventh last year. He started the season with seventh this year. He's Mr. Consistency. Uh, yeah, so. and it, quite frankly, I think if the some of the execution mistakes go away, you could see third, fourth, fifth in the championship for Graham Ray Hall. Speaking of execution mistakes, <laughs> is Andretti an actual dumpster fire at this point? <laughs> If you ask Christian Rasmussen, yes. Yes, they are. 
okay. For those of <laughs> those listeners that did not watch the Indy Lights race, uh, summarize the day for Mr. Rasmussen. <laughs> Mr. Rasmussen had a guaranteed win until he ran out of the most important thing a race car tends to need. Fuel with a lap and a half to go. It wasn't even close. How? It wasn't even close. Oh. No, it wasn't. Like, he didn't, like, sputter at the line or on the last lap. A lap and a half, they ran him out of fuel. That, honestly, oh. God, has the feeling of, I forget, may have been a joint NASA-European Space Agency mission that we crashed a, a probe into Mars because we do our math in Imperial and they do it in metric and one side forgot to do the conversion at some point. Like, don't it, know. I don't know how you screw that up. I, I'm floored. It's not like you have pit stops to deal with. It, they, Just like, fill the damn like, thing with fuel. It's like, like, not like they're trying to run a fuel strategy. Like it, it's amazing. Like how they screwed that up, and and his teammate wins the damn thing. Matty Brabham wins at an IndyCar weekend with uh, being in a stadium super truck. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, but now okay, bringing it back to IndyCar. Colton heard his first pit stop was not good. Rossi's strategy, I don't know what the hell was going on with Rossi. I mean, granted, we I were think at one point. We we thought during our watch along that like hey this this makes sense and then as we thought about it more and the alcohol wore off a little bit we went no this makes absolutely no sense and if we're saying that this makes no sense what the hell were they thinking? Uh, yeah, and they couldn't even not play grab ass with each other with Grosjean and Sato having their issue. Uh, ben in the notes calls it clumsy. I That's a nice way of putting it. It might be too early to say they're a dumpster fire. But there's smoke and there's smolder at this point. Yeah, it that was not good. It, it was a bit of a mess. I'm not going to lie. I kind of feel like, bad for them because they're, the funny thing. Not, they're not a, uh, I mean, they are a competitive team. It's just. Man, and all of this is they finished. They had two guys finish fourth and fifth. So for as bad of a weekend that they had, Herta finishes fourth, Gershon finishes fifth, and then Rossi finishes. Hang on, I'm still scrolling. Still scrolling. Uh, hold there on, we'll get there. Twentieth, right in front oh. of Connor Daly, and yes, a lap down because Kirk. Oh wait, no, no, he finished on the lead lap, barely, barely. Barely in front of DeFrancesco. However, and there's Rossi, the other Andretti guy. Rossi got beat on the day by Callum Eilat, who was nowhere to be found all weekend. Kirkwood, Rosenquist, uh, the Meyer Shank cars. That was a bad weekend. I, I judging, know what they were thinking with Rossi. It's, as never as I, I want to shill for another podcast, I cannot wait to listen to Off Track this week. <laughs> Although it'll probably just be Rossi grumbling into a microphone. Is that what it is all the time? Yeah, 
it's not a good look for Andretti and IndyCar when you've got one of your top guys just bitching about the series on a weekly basis. You when you have look. you have quite literally the eyes of the world are looking at Andretti right now. He's he is full gung ho. We are going into Formula One. And that's the show that you're going to put on. I, I can understand it if you say, you know, hey, this is competitive. This is deep. Three cars in the top 10, blah, blah, blah. This was a calamity of mistakes. Every type of mistake you can possibly make on a race weekend, Andretti did it. That doesn't look good to the power brokers well, like, of Formula does... One. Oh. You're absolutely right. Well, so where does this, who fixes this for Andretti? Is this a Michael problem? Is this a Rob Edwards problem? Who has to fix this for Andretti? Because we've been talking about them being a dumpster fire now for a couple of years. Whose job is it to fix it? It's a a combination at that point. Like, especially if it's, if it's that much of an issue at this point, it's like, okay, not necessarily scrap the whole thing, but so, like everybody got to have a come to Jesus meeting. Like, is, go is back this to, a go back to the drawing board scenario get to train that, that Andretti needs a CEO? Andretti needs somebody who is focused on the F1 team, or not the F1, <laughs> the F1 team. That's the fucking problem. No. They have someone focused on the F1 team. They need somebody focused on the IndyCar team who runs the damn IndyCar team and focuses on getting the people on the IndyCar team to only focus on the IndyCar team. Because Andretti has his fingers in so many things. Between supercars, between Formula E, between Extreme E, between um, they have a, a sports car program, and now they're rumored to be you know looking into an LMH, LMDH program. Is he still in the Rallycross series? Uh, I don't know if that Rallycross series still exists anymore, but Andretti is everywhere. And, and, and Andretti Green Savry promotions. That was an Andretti and, show in St. Pete. Yeah. And Michael they Andretti are, is the promoter of that race. They have too many things going on and they're not focused is what it looks like to me. If you want to have multiple teams, you want to play in a whole bunch of different areas. Cool. Do it. Penske's really successful with it. Ganassi's been pretty good at it. Plenty of teams are all over the place and are are pretty successful. There's something with Andretti where they're just not focused. And they've got to have somebody whose job it is to make sure that their shit is in line on the IndyCar program. Because that should be their crown jewel. Right? Their last name says that they their crown jewel program needs to be their IndyCar program. And Kinda not. It doesn't look good. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, flipping the script a little bit here to things that did look good. We're going to dip back into the road to India a little bit here. How about our boy Miles Rowe? My man. Battling for a win in race one of USF 2000. And Christian, I don't know if you listened to the preview show, but we didn't do it justice. Miles got fucked in the off season. Yeah. No, no two ways about it. Yeah. 
I've, uh, the, the <laughs> yeah, I could kid, go on about that for a long time, but we would run over. <laughs> the kid is he new? Is he the new angry Rossi? Maybe. I mean, he didn't look it this weekend. He was all smiles in the paddock all weekend. It seemed like. But man, alive is this kid quick. And he did it in a pabst. Speaking of, we should have been drinking Pabst. That is going to be the <laughs> new official beer of the pizza at the Pagoda Show. I can show. get behind that. I can get behind that. I'm glad he was able to pull out such a performance like that, too, at St. Pete. Because I, like, I remember when we were talking with him about what his favorite tracks were, and he was like, yeah, St. Pete, Pete is that one. It's like, bro. Like... He he Indy, was IndyCar beyond I can't. impressive. I, I can't. I can't because <laughs> if if I if, we'll have to save it for another time or an offshoot because if I if I do this and I start, I won't stop. Uh, Get this dude sponsors. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The uh, fact the fact that he is not rolling in sponsorship right now, the significance of Basically, his existence in this sport and the fact that he is doing this well, he got a win last year in the rain. Like. a very, Like it was on the last lap and it was a last lap pass, but that was a commanding pass with how he carved through the field like that. That was after being out of the car for four years. That's nuts. I. Then he gets sacked, and now he's in a smaller team with, I guess you could say maybe we believed it could be like underperforming equipment, but then first race of the year, fighting for the win, crashes out on the last lap because like, let's be real, that, that was a scrap. Like that, that fight was a scrap. Like they were not pulling no punches whatsoever. That should have gotten eyes. Then he comes back on the next weekend. Where did he start again? I'm not asking this to be facetious. Where did Rose start again in race two? It's a great question. Because uh, it, it, it wasn't right at the front. Uh, the Google box is absolutely sixth. flying right now. He yeah. started sixth. Sixth on a city course and came back for the win. I, like a and hard one by a second. Too. He had a second back to the back to the car behind. That's a huge gap. And in a series like this, that's huge. His fast lap was his last lap. He had, if I'm not, if I'm not right, Miles Row a check, bro. <laughs> I wish I had the like, him a check. He, he uh, yeah, he set the fastest lap of the race on the last lap of the race. Sponsors give this kid like g- give this dude money. He needs yeah. to race. He needs was, to well, race. He is hopefully thriving. in the next two months because the, there's that long before the next event. He can go in and, and scrape up some money to run the rest of the season because he needs to. That he does. So like he, he needs it. He deserves it. 
he he really should be having eyes on him. He should have had a lot more eyes on him after that win in New Jersey. Keith, if I'm reading this right. Penske wrote him a check in the first year. He should be writing him another one. I mean, he finished in front of some talent. Like we talked about like D Orlando being the guy to beat. Yeah, you know, and the guy and the Kate Motorsports guys being the guys to beat. Pabst came out there, and that was a Pabst one two. For the Cape in third. So I mean he went out there and you know, I I I hope he he manages to find the cash and, and continue. And he qualified fourth for the first race, too. He is no slouch. Exactly. That's, and it, like that's and now the question like, is, does Mighty Force India, and I, we, were, I, we were so high on them last year, they didn't look all that put together this year in lights with Ernie Francis Jr. So is, are, is this now a, is Force Indy underperforming, and are they getting what they need to perform? And, or are they just being trotted out there to be like, look, and I'm, I, again, this is me being cynical, but... Are they being given the flashy stuff and we're like, look what we've got Penske backing and we've got this guy and then they don't go out there and perform and you put Miles in a different car this year. Not only does he have two good races, he's competing for the win in one of them and wins the other one. In arguably what should be worse equipment because a team that is backed by Penske should be the best equipment on the track. Period. End of story. Uh, yeah, and then it looking at the the remaining schedule here for USF 2000. I, I know that this is a there was some up off season upheaval, I should say, with Indy Lights going under the IndyCar banner. Now USF 2000 is the top of the road to Indy. Um, there's there's all that stuff that happened, but. After rounds one and two in St. Pete, we do not see USF 2000 or Indy Pro 2000 until Barber. In an 18-round championship, they will be through eight of those rounds by Memorial Day weekend. Um. Then we're going to, and then if you go with the next week, they're at Road, uh, Road America. Then we're going to take a month off. Then we're going to take a few weeks off. And then we come, they, they go from July 17th in Toronto, the last three rounds of the season, September 1st through the 4th in Portland, Oregon. How do we not have these kids on track somewhere? I understand New Jersey Motorsports Park probably is a bit of a haul. And quite frankly, I think they did it because it was cheap, relatively speaking. To rent that facility, but man, alive! I these kids need to be on oval. They need to run more walk. than IRP. There's plenty of places across the Midwest that they could run. Maybe Iowa's a little bit too big, especially for the USF 2000 cars. Man, alive! You could run. Bring them to know. fairgrounds. Fair fairgrounds would need to be fixed up a little bit, but bring them to fairgrounds. There is, you know, with with it being, you know, a, a low power car, it's not going to be a great race car at a lot of at a lot of ovals. Probably anything bigger than IRP. 
But yeah, they've got to get their hands on a couple more ovals here because that's not. I'll tell you what. Not great. Road to Indy this... at Fairgrounds Nashville weekend. Oh my lord! Let's go. Yeah. Bring them to that. Fairgrounds. I could get behind <laughs> that wildly. There's a lot Indy of fans that don't Pro? come for the music. I mean, I. I... <laughs> I like the old country. I can't stand the new stuff. If you gave me the choice of a concert downtown at the track or road to Indy at fairgrounds, I know where I'm going. And that gives you racing content all day long on the the street circuit. And then you pick up for the short run over to fairgrounds. Oh, come on now. Let I'm telling you, man, let, let IndyCar come to Nashville for more than just one week. Just let it happen. You could have the road to Indy at fairgrounds. You could, you could have the Indy pro and the USF 2000 at fairgrounds. And then you could have the Indy lights and the Indy cars on the downtown circuit. Get eyes on it. Give me wingless 410 sprint cars on the fairgrounds while we're at it. Let's go. My God. Let's go. I'm sold. All right, next one here. <laughs> as as we have about ten minutes left here, gentlemen, uh, I am going to throw one name out, but I would like each of you to try to come up with a name here very quickly while I talk about this lady. It is Women's History Month. I would like to give a big badass shout out to the lovely Kara Adam, who basically runs Firestone Tires program uh, for the IndyCar series. Uh, her official job title is Race Tire Engine Director of Race Tire Engineering and Manufacturing, Chief Engineer Motorsports at Bridgestone Americas. You want to know why IndyCar has a tire that you, you don't hear about tires? Never do we hear about tires in IndyCar because Kara Adams is really damn good at her job. She runs a tight ship. Everybody knows of all the things you have to worry about on a race weekend, the Firestone tires are not one of them. Uh, Over 20 years now with uh, Bridgestone, by the way, Engineer in Tire Vehicle Dynamics, Senior Project Engineer for Race Tire Development, and then Chief Engineer of the Bridgestone Americas Motorsports. If you drive a Bridgestone or a Firestone product on the racetrack, you owe what you're, quite frankly, owe your life to Kara Adam because they make a damn fine product under her leadership. So they do. Kara, well done. Ooh, she, she knows what she's on. And quite frankly, we don't talk about And I guess if if this is that whole damned, if you do damned, if you don't think if they're talking about her, it's probably because there was an issue with the tires. But at the same time, we don't talk about her enough. It's, I don't know the same that to me, diversity is not just people of color, whether that is, African-American, Asian, Native American. This is 
females. This is everybody that is a marginalized population. We don't talk about them enough when they do incredible things. Kara Adams is one of those doing, quite frankly, badassery. Uh, anybody else have a, a shout out for our female of the episode here for Women's History Month that comes to mind? I mean, top of my mind is, is Pippa Man. You know, she's, you know, obviously a whole bunch of 500 entries for her. She's had, you know, some success. I uh, obviously won a, won a lights race. And, you know, she ran her entire indie program essentially out of her house. She spent the entire year finding the sponsorship, finding what she needed to put together that one ride a year. And that just tried up for her. Um, but if you follow her on social media, she's getting really active in the sports car world. I think she's a car owner now. She might might even own a team um, in the sports car world. I, she, I think she's got a, I want to say either a BMW M2 or or a Cayman GT4. But she's getting you know more in the sports car world, and and you know she's one of those drivers that you know when we talked about IndyCar having so many women in the field, she was one of them, and then just nothing right and she had that you know that heartbreak a couple of years ago where she didn't qual- or she missed out on on uh on bump day and then puts it in the field not only to put it in the field the year after but put it in the field and skipped out on bump day too uh which was incredible and it you know it was and then she had her went down you know, on have her best finish of, of the 500 so certainly pippa is um one of those names that you know has been you know synonymous with indycar and success and uh um, you know, it's good to see her still in the racing world, and uh, I, I wish she was still still doing 500s because it's, it's a tremendous loss to the field. Uh, there is a car waiting for her. Tim Clawson of Clawson Marshall Racing, uh, father of the late, great Brian Clawson. Uh, I asked him about Pippa at an event, World of Outlaws event, a couple of years ago. That man's eyes lit up. When they were looking at bringing on multiple cars for the 2019 500, Tim and Brian sat down and said, who's available? Who can get the car in the show? And Brian's first answer was Pippa. He said, this girl's a badass. If we get her close, she'll get the rest of them. We've heard stories over the decades at the 500 of drivers climbing into unknown race cars and sticking it in the show with a last second bonsai run. Pippa man has about some of the biggest balls of any of those guys that have ever done that. She is a racer's racer and it's a travesty that she's not at the 500. Absolutely. I act, I have two of her die casts. And the funny thing is that when you buy a die cast from Pippa, you're buying it from a web store that she set up herself and then she <laughs> packages and ships them from her garage. Yeah. She's a one woman show. And it is, it is, it is nuts to see her be as successful as she's been with, you know, minimal backing. Uh, driver coaching, motivational speaking, you name it. If it almost feels like, most of Pippa's life is a side hustle. It is. It's a every, give her a follow on Instagram. Day, it is. It's a hustle. It is incredible to see how hard she works, and give her a follow on Instagram. She's always at a track. She's always on a plane. She's always somewhere, either coaching, you know, doing her driver coaching. I think she coaches for uh, 
Lucas Oil School of Racing. She's got you know sports car team. Like I said, she is in everything, and it's you know it's awesome to say, but God, she needs to be back at the five hundred. Uh, yes, she does. Uh, anybody else that come to mind here, gentlemen? At least off the top of your heads, I feel bad for springing this one on you, kind of. Uh, yeah, unknowingly. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's it's probably going to sound like a little bit of a cop out, but it's honestly something I feel very strongly about. Um, the entirety of the W series, um, and and specifically uh, Catherine Muir who runs it. Um, that series exists because, like you said, Chris, the diversity in any sort of auto racing is incredibly lacking. Like I know. I know this isn't IndyCar focused, but it's auto racing all encompassing. The W series exists because there was not enough representation of women in autosport that anyone had ever had ever seen. And to have a whole series that is only women drivers and focused on only women racing and to have it last as long as it has and continue to thrive is fantastic. You know, it's a lot of folks talk about like the skill gap. Oh, it's not that great. Or they're in F3 cars. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's, it's the fact that we actually have a series that's like this. It should not be an endpoint series. And it started to be a stepping stone for women to get into formula one or to at least get into other forms of racing. I think it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Every race is history making. I feel like, you know, it's not everything has to be grandiose. Not everything has to be like the Indy 500, but to have a series that's like this to continue to thrive in the way that it does. We, it, it, I feel like it needs more attention and having it be, on the same card as Formula One, I feel like that definitely helps. Um, yeah, and the exposure is huge. Absolutely, I, it well, absolutely is. It, it's funny. I I take the contrarian viewpoint on the W series, and, and a lot of my thought process on it comes from hearing Pippa Man speak about it. Instead of spending. million a year to shuttle F3 cars around in special wrap jobs. Let's put that $20 million behind two, three, four female drivers and put them in elite machine. For the very reason that Christian, you just mentioned, this is designed to be a stepping stone series. Jamie Chadwick has won back-to-back W Series championships and said, I'm not coming back. I am, I've done what I need to do here. I am going upwards. And in the last week or so, it's come out that Jamie Chadwick is coming back to the W Series because she can't find a ride anywhere. And that's, that's, that's bad. That, I feel like that says more about the teams that are not hiring her that she has reached out to than the W Series itself. Uh, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Because it's... Yeah, I, it just makes the statement of the W series. It just puts it in bold at that point because it's like, yeah, this it, it, like Jamie Chadwick has won two series. Like she has won two championships in the W series. And she's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and find something else. And then she has to cut. She, effectively. She has to come back because no one else is taking her. That's the point of this series. 
I, quite frankly, that, it's, that, it's that the is, same. That is, that is it's got to be that stepping stone into something else. The, the promise of the W Series is to say, hey, we're going to take all the, take all these women drivers, spotlight them, give them you know exposure to get them to that next level. And it's not delivering on that yet. And I think Jamie Chadwick was the biggest pro- was the biggest hope. And it's it's got to get there. And, and it's you know it. Uh, it's, Don't get me going, that's, uh, yeah, well, I was just going to say, me this is the, this is the, uh, aggravating part is not even the beginning of it because they're talking about selling this as an exposure thing. Do you guys happen to know where the W series is broadcast here in the great United States of America? It's being broadcast in the United States. Yes, it is. And that answers that question. It is on BN Sports Extra. Eh? Unless you have the absolute top tier of sports cable programming, and even then, you probably don't get it. What is BN? I I've heard of BWIN. I met some of their developers from Belgium, but B, I've yeah. There's there's our problem right there. There's there is no selling it. There is no development. It it sort of feels like this has become a landing spot. And it it's what it concerned Pippa Man from the beginning. When, <laughs> the other part of it that I heard all I needed to hear was what I heard that Carmen Jorda was very much in favor. Again, a girl who got where she was because of looks and money and not talent. Um, I I don't know. I thought we were going to see some pretty cool things from Abby Eaton. Um, Yeah, and then she got her ass kicked by a sausage curb. Yes, but she was also kind of stig number three, I guess you would call her, on the Grand Tour when, when Hammond Clarkson and May went to Amazon. They picked Abby Eaton to drive the car. The girl's a talent. And the fact that she's stuck in the W Series, and there's a lot of women who said, I won't race in it. Christina Nielsen said no. Catherine Legg said no. The floor said no. And she's a badass. I'm... Like... That's the frustrating part for me. For most people, when you fly through the air into a camera box and break your and break your back, you go, "Hey, my racing career is done. That was fun." You don't you don't dust yourself off, get surgery, and, and you're back in an F three <laughs> car the next year, and then find your way to Le Mans a couple of years later. She's absolutely getting screwed right now because she just signed with G Drive to race in the ELMS, and well, G Drive really shouldn't be a racing team right now. Yeah, uh, well, it, it sounds like they're not, by the way. Um, things are happening very rapidly there. And that is something that we will have to discuss at some point, because the way this all plays out, there is some Russian money that is floating around, not only the IndyCar series, but also the road to Indy as well. Uh, There's and, a lot of Russian money floating around the racing world. That's a... The last week has thrown all of that into big-time turmoil. 
But last thing we got to do before we get out of here, we need to recap our picks. I could have put this off. boys. I, I could have said, oh, no, we didn't do picks at St. Pete. Ooh. I am oh, here. Please do. Let's talk about it. I, I want to talk am, about our picks. I am here to take my comeuppance from you. Looking back at the picks one week ago, Ben Carswell selected Roman Grosjean to be your race winner. Good run for him. He came home in the fifth position, earning Ben 30 points. Christian was not here. He did not make a pick. So we're go he's going to be sitting on a goose egg. James, we can just ignore. Yes, we'll power finish third. We get it. Okay, <laughs> next. No, let me flex on these haters. Go ahead. <laughs> Will heard y'all was talking shit. <laughs> yeah. And my I I can't believe my poor Rossi pick ended up working. That was that was the scrawniest white guy flex I have ever heard. Holy shit. You've seen my arms? I have no muscles to flex. Of course it is. I'm pretty sure they carried your ass around Daytona for the Rolex, but that'll be a, another. We'll tell no, that they story. They dragged the me on the lead. <laughs> oh my God. Jason Owens took Colton Herta. Again, another good pick. Colton finishing in the fourth position. So we have third, fourth, and fifth in our picks thus far. Mike. Yeah, Mike getting shit done. He took Alexander Rossi. With a spectacular 20th place finish after qualifying 13th. Makes me look like less of an idiot taking Joseph Newgarden. Can't defend it. I thought Rossi was, was due. No. Oh, he's due. Doesn't mean it's act he's actually going to get his due. He is due for a pink slip. <laughs> I'm sorry, a mutual parting of ways that will be coming at the end of the season. Uh, and as I mentioned, I had Joseph Newgarden. So looking at where the numbers are, James is currently leading the points 36 to 32 over Jason Owens. Ben sitting third at 30. I am in fourth with 14. And Mike McCullen with a big 11 point showing there for our winners. But now we get to the fun part, because we are going to cast a vote. We're going to rank thus one to five here in terms of uh, who was the most accurate in picking our anchovies of the week. Ben chose Graham Rahal as his anchovy. I would say not a very good pick. He kind of did Graham Rahal thing. Very, very boring. Uh, can we agree that, that James uh, should get the win here picking Alexander Rossi? Oh, but wait. I took Renus VK. <laughs> <laughs> Renus with a very, very nice sixth place showing this weekend, and he did it on pace, on merit. Uh, While having to go into hardcore fuel save in the last few. That is correct. Uh, so who would we say out of the five is was worse with their pick? Me with VK or 
uh, James with Rossi. BK is a worse. Wait, no, where did BK finish? Uh, sixth. <laughs> sixth. Yeah, and didn't Rossi finish in like Nowheresville? Rossi barely finished on the lead lap. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I win. Uh, okay, yeah. so so James will get the uh, the goose egg for the week. Basically, we're going to go minus four to zero. So if you, whoever gets the anchovy right doesn't lose any points. Uh, so is my pick or is it, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's really nobody else close because Jason took Dalton Kellett and Mike took Connor Daly. Is there anybody that screwed up the anchovy the week worse than me? Or Ben, maybe, picking Graham Rahal. But Rahal performed exactly what Rahal's supposed to perform. So, yeah, I think... Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think you... I don't know. I think it's a tie. I think you both screwed up. I, okay. I, I will take the negative four. <laughs> uh so then i guess so then ben would be next we'll we'll give him the honor of that one uh a negative three now we get into the tough one though who was i guess kind of right in the middle coin flip it maybe between dalton kellett and connor daly i would say mike maybe connor daly you would expect to be a little bit better than bottom of the pile Dalton Kellett, we expect to finish 25th. Connor Daly being 21st, is that unexpected? He should be top 20. He should be at least, like, top 15. He's in good equipment. And his teammate is... His teammate finished 6th. He finished 20th. Not a great look, Connor. Just like his mullet. Oh, he went for the mullet. Cool. The mullet's got to go. All right, then that means Jason Owens is going to lose two points. Mike loses one. That extends the point lead for James Watson. 36 to 30 over Jason Owens. Ben Carswell third at 27. Mike McCullen and I on 10 points apiece after the weekend. Oh, where would 10 points put us? in the uh in the real world here uh that would be a very solid 20th place finish sounds about right for me yeah we're good all right so with that we will be back in a couple of weeks here with our picks for texas but the show will be back next week we will be talking all the other storylines that indycar brings up here over the next couple of weeks we will talk the impact of the loss of russian money uh, along with other things. But hopefully everybody enjoyed the Watch Along show. We'll be back with that one for Texas. And until then, it is time to get the hell out of here. For Christian Jasper, James Watson, and Mike McCullen, my name's Chris Graham. We will talk to you all soon. See you later, everybody. <laughs>